0: So we've been looking at the armor that um, God has been asking us to put on. Uh, you, know, you know, and, and Paul is, is talking to these people, and, and he's and he's really speaking to the spiritual warfare uh, that we have been talking about, and and how important it is to be prepared, and how important it is to not pick and choose what armor you're going to put on. Uh, knowing that the enemy, and whenever we say enemy, we're talking about Satan. Uh, knowing that the enemy is trying to look uh, for you know little places where where there's uh, a gap or, or or just something in your life that's inconsistent where he can attack, where he can bring opposition. And so we're going to continue looking at uh, different armor that that we're called to put on. And uh, let's let's read this and. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, it says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, so in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one so uh, when we when we think about this and, and just you know what uh, the context and, and and just Roman soldiers they used multiple kinds of shields uh, in war or in battle and the kind of shield that that Paul refers to here is a very large shield it was anywhere from two and a half feet wide to four and a half feet uh, tall it was it was made of a thick piece of wood it was covered with metal or or heavy uh, oiled uh, leather and and the edges of these huge Huge shields they were literally uh, designed to almost uh, be the full length of a human uh, the edges of these were, were were designed in contrast to the shields next to them so that they could literally the soldiers get into a line um, and and they could interlock shields and march together um, against their enemy with one solid wall that they would be pushing at so this is this, this shield that he's alluding to is a huge shield uh, it was very important. Uh, Biblical writers often uh, refer to God as a shield. Okay, We see this all throughout scripture, uh, a couple different places. In Psalm uh, 1830, it says this, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. He is a shield. Proverbs 30, uh, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So the faith uh, mentioned here, this, this shield of faith, uh, it, this is not saving faith. This is living faith. This is a faith that, that you live out daily. It's a trust. It's a daily trust in the promises and in the power of God uh, that who he is is who he says he is. And you live in accordance with that. Habakkuk 2.4, uh, you know, he, he says the righteous will live by faith. Okay, so, so if, if you are righteous, if you are right living, you will be living by faith. Paul uh, quotes that twice. The, the writer of Hebrews quotes that as well. The righteous will live by faith. So every person lives by some sort of faith, right? Like there is nobody right now that's not living by faith. Just, just you breathing is an act of faith, right? Every time you breathe out, or, or every time uh, you breathe in, you're, you're trusting that you're going to breathe out, or you're trusting every time you breathe out that there's going to be air for you to breathe in. That's an act of that's an act of faith. When when you think about uh, marriage and going into uh, a marriage covenant, you are uh, by faith giving yourself to this other person, trusting uh, by faith that they're going to love you uh, back. When you think about just um, crossing a bridge, or or I don't know, have you ever seen those those little grates uh, in in like in the cement in a walkway or something? And it's like it's it's like you can see below uh, down into like the sewer. Uh, for me, it always trips me out if I walk over that because I always imagine like oh I'm gonna fall through or something. But by faith we walk over those. Things. By faith we we put ourselves uh, in airplanes, uh, trains. Uh, we get on these big ships. We get on these cruise ships. We we get into our cars or our trucks. We get on buses, uh, and by faith we trust that we're going to be okay. We eat food every day, trusting that it's not poisoned. Okay, so so we we operate by faith already, but faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object, okay? So like when you look at the Christian faith, the Christian faith is powerful and effective because the object of our faith is Jesus. That's why our faith is different. That's why it's so powerful because the object of our faith is Jesus. When you think about all the different things we put our faith and our hope in, the power of the Christian faith is because our faith rests in Jesus, the perfect sovereign savior, in the New Testament times, the, the tips of these arrows would be dipped or wrapped in pieces of cloth that had been soaked in pitch. And, and the tip then was, was then lit and the flaming arrow would be shot out. Um, and, and literally this, this flaming arrow uh, on impact would literally ignite anything that was flammable. Okay, would just go up uh, in flames. And so Satan, essentially, it's using this this picture here of Satan shooting uh, these flaming arrows at us. And, and what, what is it talking about here? Well, he, he shoots, uh, essentially, these temptations at our hearts, at our minds. Okay, he's continually bombarding you and sending at you all these different temptations. Temptations you've struggled with, new temptations, temptations temptations you've never even thought of, all these things. He is continually shooting those at us, these lies that he wants you to believe, Uh, hateful thoughts about other people that you have no business uh, hating, Uh, doubts that you've never had or doubts from your past that all of a sudden resurface, desires for sin. He is continually shooting us with with things uh, that, that he has seen work uh, historically in our lives that we've fallen into. And so he's continually launching those flaming arrows uh, to try and wreck what God is doing with our lives. And, and here's the thing, like, like we never know when he's going to shoot. Like we never know when he's going to lob an arrow over at us. And so that's why it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield. So, so once again, the armor is not designed to be something you put on, you take off, you get in rest mode and that, no, like, like this is why it says, you, this is part of every day, okay? In fact, some of you, uh, the evenings are when you need to be most armored up. Okay, so it, like a, for some of you, at home is the primary target. And so we, we need to know that this isn't like circumstantial armor. Uh, this is all the time. This is what we're wearing. And, and that's why it says, take up the shield in all circumstances. Because Satan is continually attacking us with, with these temptations for immorality, hatred, envy, anger, covetousness, pride, doubt, fear, despair, distrust, all these other sins. And if you said, Steve, what kind of sticks out to you now that he seems to be lobbying a lot at us? I would say this, fear. I don't think I have ever seen a time when I've dealt with more people that were living in fear. And I would also say I don't think I've ever dealt or been a part of a time when I've heard more Christians living in fear. And, 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 and so uh, I, I see two things here, like right now that, that I see we're struggling with that we've got to correct, that the armor of God will correct. One is fear, like fear has no, perfect love casts out fear, okay? So uh, of any people right now on the planet that should not be afraid of anything that's happening, it should be Jesus followers. And the second thing I see here is despair. My goodness, like, like there's so many of us that are walking around defeated, we're in despair. So I see, like, like when I look at these lists and I go, uh, you know, um, like pride, covetousness, like, you know, things that were, I, I see like what's going on in our culture right now. And I go, man, like honestly, what sticks out to me is, is the fear. And I just see despair at levels and degrees that, man, I can't remember the last time I've seen so many people just in despair, like just hopelessness. And it's so sad, and 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 that's why, like that, that's why we need to have this armor on continuously. Because when you go through a list like that of all these different temptations, all these things he's going to throw at us, uh, it changes. Okay, so so what's going to prepare you for those changes? What's going to prepare you when something in our culture just totally goes off in a direction that, that no one predicted, nobody thought would happen? That's going to continue to happen, um, and and things are going to continue to happen to catch you off guard. If you're in school, uh, at your job, your boss, um, your finances, all these things can you uh, can move around. Relationships that you're in, that you're not in, all these things can can all of a sudden uh, be a huge deal, or they they, they can be something that's like an afterthought for some of us but the reality is we don't know when we're going to walk through these different stages of life and we're going to experience these different temptations to different degrees and we have to have the shield of faith we have to like that shield is what blocks that temptation from lighting you up And when you think about the continual attacks, every temptation that Satan throws at us is a temptation to doubt and distrust God. When you look at it, see, Satan wants to damage our trust in God. That's what he wants. He wants to drive a wedge between us and God. He wants to try and create distance uh, and, and specific things. He wants to create that between our relationship with God. And he's so slippery, so sneaky with doing it. I mean, think about this. He even tempted God's own son to try and create doubt and a wedge between the son and the father. Whenever we try to, to justify sin uh, and justify um, you know, doing something that we know is wrong, we degrade God's character and we actually elevate Satan's, which is just a scary thought. Because when we sin, we're actually choosing to believe Satan's lies. At the core of sin is me actually saying, it's me agreeing with what Satan's telling me to do and not listening, not agreeing with what I know God is telling me to do. Right? Because, because essentially, when when I am, when, when anything that is sin is, is literally following Satan, right? It's it's obedience to his plan. Righteousness or rightness is a byproduct of following God. And so, and so you just need uh, to know that, that that's his his plan, that's his purpose. All sin results from failure to act in faith in who God is, right? Every sin uh, comes back to a disconnect in our faith and, and in our reliance that God is who he says he is, and I trust that, and I walk in light of that. Uh, 1 John 5.4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is huge. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. In verse 17 here of of Ephesians uh, chapter six, it says this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So when we look at this helmet, uh, Roman helmets were made of iron or, or bronze. Uh, they had these cheek guards, um, and there was an inside lining uh, that, of, of sponge that, that helped make the weight bearable on their heads because these things were heavy. Um, the, but but what, when he talks about helmet, essentially like a helmet's purpose is to protect the head from injury, right? I mean, that's essentially what a helmet's designed to do. And so what we see here is Satan wants to attack our minds, He wants to go up top. He wants to attack your mind. When you think of how he defeated and how he got Eve uh, to sin, uh, it's interesting when he's writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says this. This is really powerful. It says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts you catch that? Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He says, just as the enemy went after Eve's mind, I am concerned based upon how cunning, how how deceptive, how manipulative he is. I'm concerned that he is going to get a hold of your thoughts, up here, your mind, and lead you astray from that pure devotion to God. So, so this is a big deal that you need to understand like, like, like your intellect, your, your understanding, your, your growth and your knowledge and understanding of who God is is so critical uh, because he's gonna go after your mind. He's going to go after you there. So if you're not maturing in your mind, you're not going to be prepared. And and he's cunning, right? He's he's deceptive. He's manipulative. He's a liar. And so he's so um, tricky in how he tries to attack you. But but the reality is this: when God controls the mind, Satan can't lead us astray. Like 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 if God is in control of what's happening here, Satan cannot lead me in a direction that's in opposition to God because God has controlled. So when we talk about this helmet, this helmet of salvation, it's literally putting on this mind that is controlled by God. The fact that the helmet is related to salvation, it says, this indicates that Satan's blows are directed at the believer's security and assurance in Christ. So he wants to attack the very core of your salvation, right? He wants to attack the, that, that place that, that should be your most foundational place of trust. He wants to go after that. He wants to go after your security, your assurance in Christ. So, so when, when we think about how he does that, there's two ways he attacks your mind, okay? Uh, he does it through discouragement, and he does it through doubt, Now, when when we talk about discouragement, how does he discourage us? How does he attack your mind with discouragement? Well, this is what he's so good at. And I struggle with this. I have to continually fight against this because, man, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I get into my own head. Sometimes sometimes I'm not taking thoughts captive. They're taking me captive. And and so what he does with your mind, and this is why it's so important, um, is is he literally, when he wants to uh, discourage us, he points out our failures. So he's really good at that. He is really good. He's always got right on tap. He has got your highlight reel of failures that he's waiting to put in front of your mind. He's always wanting to put that back in front of you to remind you of of mistakes, of things that you wish you could do differently. He Our sins, he's great at at, at reminding you of how sinful you are, of the mistakes you've made, of the things you've ruined. Um, Unresolved problems. He's great at continuing to put in front of you unresolved conflicts that you have so that it adds stress, so that it adds adds anxiety, so it adds weight uh, to everything else. Uh, Even poor health. He he is great at discouraging people through poor health, reminding them of where their health is not at, reminding them that someone else's health is in a better place, whether that's emotional health, uh, mental health, whether that's physical health. He is great at when people are suffering physically, at showing them all the people that aren't suffering, to discourage them. So he's looking, whatever, and whatever else seems negative in our lives, he's looking at bringing that, putting that in front of us, so that he can cause us to lose our confidence in the love of God. That's what he wants. He wants your confidence to be shaken uh, to the very core of your salvation that, that 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 this love of God that you accepted, that you received, that you were so excited about, he is literally, uh, through how he lobs all these attacks, he is creating a gap between what you start to actually believe about God's love. And there starts to become a gap between when you say God's love, but actually when you're alone, when you're by yourself, you go, I don't really know if he loves me. I I I read this, but I don't I don't know if I believe that anymore. I don't know if I can believe that anymore. How could this happen to me? How could he love me if I did this? How could he love me if if, if that happened? There's there's no way that that's true. And if he did love me, he would cause this to go away. He would cause that relationship to fix itself. He would cause my health to fix itself. And so so he ha- has a way of doing. All of this. And when you think about right now, I just think he's having a heyday because we're in isolation. And as we're in isolation, most of the people I've talked to, they're not sitting in isolation in worship. A lot of people are sitting in isolation reminded of failures, reminded of where they're at. Reminded of where they're not at, reminded of what they can't do, reminded of of the limitations right now versus totally uh, understanding and knowing that God loves us and that even when life is chaotic, even when things aren't working out, even when things physically, uh, work-wise, relationally aren't working out, he's still on the throne and I can trust and rest in the reality that he loves me. That shouldn't be something that's shakable. That shouldn't be something that, that he can just mess with, but he's doing such a great job with that right now. And here's the other danger with this. Like we learn from Elijah, like Elijah went into his deepest and darkest state of depression to these suicidal thoughts. Do you know when he went to that place? Right after an incredible victory. So here's what else is dangerous, and here is uh, why else I keep stressing you have to continue to put this armor on and not take it off, is what we see in Scripture is many times Satan's greatest attacks come after our greatest victories. And you see that like, like over and over in scripture. And, and like I said, Elijah, Elijah is he's isolated, he's alone, and, 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 and he's just come off this mountaintop, literally experience where he's seen God move in incredible ways and in miraculous ways that we go, man, God, I wish you could do something like that through me. And yet right after that, he is in this deep and dark state. How does that happen? What does that tell us about ourselves? We have to continue to put this armor on. You have got to guard your mind. You have got to have this helmet on. Satan also tempts us to become discouraged when we see other believers going through trials. So he also discourages us by showing us have you ever looked at other people and, and you just your heart just breaks for them? You see what they're going through physically and you go, that person loves God. There is no reason, like, like I deserve what they're going through. Um, and 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 yet for whatever reason, why God? Why why them? Why do they have to go through that? Why is there suffering? Why why is it still happening? And and all of that. Like Satan also wants to discourage you. Through seeing other people's suffering. He wants that to have an effect on you. It's interesting um, how um, Paul identifies that the Ephesians, earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians 3.13, he he sees their concern for his imprisonment. He sees how that's affecting them mentally. And he says this in Ephesians 3:13. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. So he's suffering, and he knows that this is affecting them mentally. They love him so much, and them seeing him suffering, it's taking them down to a place that they shouldn't go to. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Like, 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 stop. He literally says, what does he say again? He says, do not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Like, stop, don't go down that road. Like, don't allow what's happening to me to affect you in that way. He, like, the enemy wants to discourage you. See, he tempts us to give up. Uh, also, he tempts us to give up when we can't see the results of our service for God. So he also, um, he discourages us by trying to get us to give up because we're not seeing the payoff of the sacrificial service we're doing as unto the Lord. You ever felt that way? Where you're where you're just giving and giving and giving and giving and you're doing it and you're trying to do it with a pure heart. You're trying to do it for God. But but just over time, you're just discouraged. You don't see any fruit from it. You don't see any life change. You don't you don't even you don't even think like anybody even knows. In fact, you don't even think God sees anymore. And you've just been going and going and and, and just trying and and you're just trying to focus on pleasing God in that. But you know what happens? We get discouraged, and that's when he tries to tempt us into quitting. See, when the, when the Galatian believers faced uh, that problem, Paul told them this in Galatians 6, 9, and I think this verse is huge for us right now. Galatians 6, 9, it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What a great verse for right now. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up keep going keep going don't let him don't don't let him mess with your mind don't be consumed with what you can see remember god is operating outside of what you and i can see what we think we know he's doing things in people's hearts he's doing things below the surface he's 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 doing so many things that you and i can't see stop creating measurements that 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 you think demonstrate whether you're being effective or not Just trust in Christ and guard your mind. We see that um, when when Satan starts to not only create discouragement, we see the other side. Like if you look at a sword that's double-edged, right? And, And so with the other side of the sword we see is doubt. And doubt also leads to discouragement. See, doubts about the truths of God and and even our salvation, those are the worst kinds of discouragement uh, for believers because if a believer doubts God's goodness or if their relationship to God seems like it's uncertain, see, what that does is that takes away our hope. So what's so dangerous about doubt is doubt takes away our hope and it actually removes the protection from discouragement. So when when I allow once again it's up here it's my mind when I allow doubt to creep in doubt feeds discouragement and um, doubt not only feeds uh, discouragement but what what doubt essentially um, does is it robs me of joy okay so so it feeds discouragement doubt 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 creates distance uh, between me and God. Um, it literally robs from my ability to experience joy and hope. See, our salvation, it means we're secure. Like we're secure in our Father's hands. We're saved from condemnation. So through salvation, we we see. remember, it's the helmet of what? Salvation. So we've got to focus on salvation and what that means. So if that helmet is on and how it should, salvation is very real. Salvation, the understanding, the truth of salvation, that that no, none of the schemes of the enemy can take me away. I am signed, sealed, delivered. I am bought with a price, so I'm his. I can, I'm not going to be discarded, so I know that it's true. The other aspect is, is sanctification, because I am his, uh, his life within us now. Now is saving me day to day by his power which is uh, allowing me to get away from the power of sin that the power of sin had on my life so through that sanctification process as I operate in light of salvation I know that that he is uh, that his power is alive it's active and it's helping me to overcome the power of the enemy and I know already who wins and so I know that if I have this helmet of salvation on I'm reassured of my standing I know where I'm at I know that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And then lastly, through salvation, what? We have the future that we are able to look forward to. That aspect of glorification when we shall one day be saved altogether forever from even the presence of sin. And so the helmet of salvation, it also is the great hope of the final salvation experience when we are brought up. And so it gives us confidence. It gives us assurance that in our presence, struggle satan will not last and he will lose we have as first peter says we have a living hope hebrew 6:19 calls that hope an anchor for our soul it's an anchor for our soul that hope see our hope is in him remind the enemy of that Remind the enemy what salvation means to you. You know, for me, I've shared this before. I speak out loud to myself a lot. So I have conversations with people. Nobody else is there. I'm having it with myself. There are times where I find that I do this with Satan, the enemy. I literally, because I feel like it's important for me sometimes to just verbalize it. And maybe this is big for you. And so maybe it's just literally you verbalizing and you telling the enemy, listen, I've been saved. From the penalty of sin, I, I, I've been saved from the power of sin, and I'll one day be saved from the very presence of sin. You know, like like you can fully say, "Hey, guess what, Satan? I am alive to Christ now." Okay, I've been redeemed, I've been forgiven, I've been reconciled, I've been raised, I've been seated with Christ. Okay, so so Satan, by me having the helmet of salvation, knowing that's true, living in light of that, you have no space to come in and try and manipulate and do your thing. That's confidence. It's not confidence in you, it's confidence in the salvation, it's confidence in God, it's confidence in the gospel. Lastly, we see the sword of the spirit, the final piece of equipment. This this is an offensive, uh, offensive weapon, okay? It's also offensive to the enemy, but it's offensive. Right? When you think of sword, uh, it's not like a shield, right? So the believer must take up the sword and engage the enemy. And this term, as it's describing a sword, it's a shorter sword or a dagger that the soldiers, all soldiers would wear. And it was more for like close, uh, in proximity combat uh, with each other. And so what it says here is this sword of the spirit. So the spirit, it's the sword of the spirit. So the spirit makes the sword powerful and effective. Okay, So that sword uh, is of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that makes it powerful, effective. So we know from John 14, 17 that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of what? The Spirit of Truth, he teaches us all things. He brings to light God's word. He not only reveals it to us, he helps us remember it. He brings it to light sometimes uh, in different moments, Um, uh, even sometimes putting it on our mouth, literally to speak it. And Paul explicitly states that the sword of the spirit, what does he say, is scripture. It's the word of God. Scripture, the word of God, that is the source of truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. See, people right now look everywhere for answers, right? Even when you think about current issues and events, we're all looking for answers. We're trying to find out what's worth believing and what's not. And it's not only like, like when it comes to like views of a pandemic or, 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 or other just political things, everything's becoming political, but it's not just those things. What I see is an assault right now on truth. And when I say truth, God's word. And I'm seeing more and more verses being used, taken, used like this, or adjusted to fit what we want it to say. And so it, there's this continual assault on God's word. And I see more and more people just believing something because it sounds right. More and more people just going, oh, I like that. That's going to be my truth. When in reality, the source of truth is God's word. And, 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 th- and this has to be my place where I find truth and I hold anything uh, that, that is competing to be truth, I hold it against God's word. This is the source of power, of guidance, of comfort. It's the source of our victory. See, when Jesus was tempted uh, by Satan in the wilderness, what was his weapon? Right, He was on a fast. I mean, he was weak and everything. His weapon for each and every specific temptation that Satan brought before him was specific scripture. And each Pieces, each piece of scripture that he shared um, in opposition to the enemy uh, was a direct contradiction to what the enemy was feeding him. Okay, so there's also not just this like overall knowledge of the story of God, but we have to learn uh, like specifics of God's word because the enemy attacks in specific ways. Uh, look at what um, in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus said this uh, in that moment when he's being tempted. But he answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that's our spiritual food. <laughs> so so it's, it's our sword uh, for those times of opposition with the enemy. But you have to know it. Three times in his interaction, three times. Jesus said, in Luke 4, we can see this, three times Jesus said to the enemy, it is written. He's quoting scripture. Three times, it is written in God's word. Here's the scary part. Here's the thing that you have to be aware of. Here's the thing that I see coming to fruition right now, uh, especially through social media, is Satan can also quote scripture. Okay. There is, there's, there's literally not like this, this invisible law that Satan cannot use scripture. No, no, no. Satan loves to use scripture. Satan loves to take bits and pieces of God's word. I mean, look at Luke chapter four, verse 10, as he's trying to tempt Jesus. Luke 4, 10 says this, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Who's saying that? Satan is saying that to Jesus. What is Satan saying? Satan is speaking scripture to Jesus. Now, what's, what, how, do, how do I know? Like, well, one, uh, we, we've got to see here that he's quoting it, but he does not quote it completely, completely. See, Satan uses God's word to confuse us. So uh, it's, it's critical that you know God's word. He's going to use the very thing. There will be moments where you think God is speaking and Satan is so manipulative, he's such a liar, that he's the one who's actually speaking to you. He's the one trying to use this scripture to manipulate you, to twist you up, to get you to do something that's in opposition to God's will, but you think because there's a bit of a verse in there, oh, that's God's will for me. Satan is a master at that. Okay. Remember, he can disguise himself as an angel of light. And so, like when you think about, if you take verses out of context, you just leave out a few words or apply verses uh, to Christians today that don't really apply to Christians today. Or you say, well, this means that in the original language. You can get the Bible essentially to approve whatever you want. I'm amazed at at the scripture and how we will contort it and and twist it and and take bits and pieces to fit whatever essentially we want to believe or we hope to believe. And, And so when you think about the danger of that, when you think about the enemy doing that, when you think about the reality that Satan did that very thing, what did he do with Eve? Distorted scripture. When you think about Jesus, what did he do? That's what he attempted to do. Why would he do anything different right now when it's never been easier to get verses in front of your face? I mean, that's what he's going to do. It's never been easier to get verses in front of your face. It's never been easier to hear sermons from all kinds of different people and, and, and people speaking on behalf of God, and you have no idea who they are. You have no idea of their theology. You have no idea if it's aligning even with Scripture. But if, you, if it sounds good, we're in. And there's so much danger to that. So we have to learn. We have to grow. We have to develop in our understanding of Scripture. The better you know God's word, the easier it is to detect the lies of the enemy. Christians who rely simply on experiences or or my feelings, um, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable place and we are open to a lot of false ideas. And false ideas, when they are taken captive, lead to what? False practice. So when I start to allow, when that helmet of salvation is not there, and I allow my mind to think about these things that are not true, are not of God, but but I but I start to justify that, what happens? It always leads to action. It always leads to my walk. It always, I start to bend in how I live in accordance with my truth now, not God's truth. And just like Jesus in the wilderness, we need to use specific scriptural truths to counter these specific falsehoods. That's why Paul counseled Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. Okay, so important. The sword of the Spirit is also this offensive weapon. It's capable of inflicting, uh, blows, right? Uh, against the enemy. Scripture is, we see in Hebrews four twelve. scripture is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So, um, so, so it, it, it's alive. It's active. Uh, it's sharper. It can, it can literally pursue anything. It's the, it's the greatest assault, uh, uh weapon that I could use against the enemy and his tactics. Um, in San Diego, where I moved here from, there is an incredible museum, you should go to it, it's called the USS Midway. It is, it's, it's a former aircraft carrier that they've, it's a decommissioned aircraft carrier that they've turned into this massive museum. It's incredible. And they have all these former like, like fighter planes and, and just all kinds of things that, that you just, you, you're walking back through time and, and all of this and it's just incredible to see. And you're learning so much. But as you walk through, uh, you look at these different things. And maybe it's a weapon. Maybe it's a, a fighter plane or something. You go, man, that's so cool that they were that advanced or they thought of this uh, at that time. But you go, man, like in today's world, that would never work. <laughs> like that would never translate. That, that just wouldn't be effective. You know, I feel like for a lot of us, that's the Bible. For a lot of us, we look at it and we, we actually go, that's cool it's God's word. That's pretty cool. And and for some of us we'll even like showcase it, right? Like we get a big one, we put it in our living room or or we carry it with us, or we leave it in the car in a strategic place or whatever. And, and but it's but it's almost like going into this like like almost like this museum experience where where it's there, we think it's cool, but we never use it. We never grow in our understanding of it because ultimately what it shows us is Our view of scripture now is that was great for a long time ago, but it's no longer effective or relevant for what I'm dealing with today. And I would say that right now, that is an opinion that a lot of people have. And that is something the enemy is going to try to do and assault your mind with that that does not apply anymore. That doesn't work for you anymore. You can, you can, you can pick and choose with that because it was, it was good for way back then. In fact, you should acknowledge that's God's word. That's cool, but not anymore. And I find more and more that is there is that, that disconnect and understanding that it is alive, it is active, it is the great, greatest weapon that you can have uh, in dealing with an enemy who is bent on destroying you. Do not be deceived, you can trust God's word, you need God's word. The word of God is so powerful, it transforms people from falsehood to truth, from darkness to light, from death to life. Uh, It changes sadness into joy, right? Despair into hope. um, Stagnation into growth uh, for people. We are to literally go. We're to speak the gospel into the darkness. Why? So that we can bring the light so that we can help free those who are held captive by that darkness, by the enemy and help them be freed. And, and, And literally Satan knows that that is a weapon against his plans. He knows that it works against his plans. And so why so how does he respond? See, Satan Satan knows. He does not want us to use that because he knows it works. That's why uh, Jesus makes this clear in the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, 19, look at this. He says, Jesus is saying, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, listen to this. This is so scary. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what... This is what was sown along the path. So Satan, he sees God's word being shared and he is literally looking to swoop in and snatch it before it can take root in someone's heart. Because he knows how effective it is. He knows he cannot fight and go toe-to-toe with God's word. He knows, he knows the ending. And so he's going to do everything he can to snatch that. Try and take that away from taking root in your heart and your life. Do not let him do that. And I will say this. When you put on that armor, you have to have the sword. You have to have it. Just imagine walking out on the battlefield and you've got a shield and you got nothing. You need that sword. And knowing that that sword not only brings victory, but it causes fear in the enemy to where he's like, how do I, how do I snatch? How do I distort that? That should encourage you. It should help us to take ground against uh, the evil one. And so I just want to say, once again, as we kind of close this time of, of putting on the spiritual armor, um, we are never... Until, until the end, until Jesus comes back, we're never fully out of reach uh, from Satan's temptations and those fiery darts that we talked about, him throwing those at our ways. We're, we're just, we're going to have to deal with that. So my challenge is, do, is put on the armor. If this has never been important, you please put on the armor. If you've been taking it on and then, and, or putting it on and then taking it off, please stop doing that. Please stop. Listen, David, when you look at David's story, uh, David was actually um, in more trouble when he, when he was where? When he wasn't on the battlefield, right? Where did he get in trouble? He got in trouble at the castle hanging out. That's when, that's when the enemy got him. The enemy waited to when his armor was off. The enemy waited when he was like, I'm not in battle anymore, right? David was taking it on or putting it on and taking it off, okay? And so that temptation is very real, and we can do that. And and so you just have to know right now uh, that the enemy is looking for those moments when we take that off. And also, some of you right now are in the place you're at. You're confused. You're angry. uh, You're full of fear, despair, all these things because you haven't been wearing it. So put it on. And allow that helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, shield of faith, allow God to help you move forward in a way that honors him so that the fruit of the Spirit is alive, is coming out of your life, and so that you are effective in taking the gospel and being a light and taking it into the darkness. And we know that when we do that in obedience to Christ, he works and does miraculous things. God bless you guys. Let me pray.